Hi, this is Corey McRae, the senator for the 45th Legislative District, and you're listening to the Condoy Street Podcast, my go-to source for the latest news and insight on state and local government in Maryland. Welcome to the Conduit Street Podcast. Kevin Canale here. Michael Sanderson is back in action. Michael, how are you today? I'm doing okay. I'm I'm glad to be back from assignment, and uh, I'm glad I got invited back. I mean, after la- last week, I listened to the pod, and you and Natasha and Les. I mean, covering all the issues, I'm starting to think I don't I don't know I don't know if I'm going to get invited back. Yeah, we got a lot of positive feedback there. So um, <laughs> there are some. Inner office politics happening around the podcast and who's on the pod. And, you know, Michael, Michael got his, got his way this week and he's back and, uh, and we're happy that he's back. But how's everything going? Obviously things around town are really starting to ramp up. Revved up for sure. Right. We had crossover here on Monday. And of course, that's a significant day. If you want to get a bill passed, you got to get it to the opposite chamber. Um, and if it doesn't move, that's a strong sign that the bill is dead for this year. So yep. a lot of activity around town. Yeah. So let's let's try and touch a bunch of bases and sort of catch up on a handful of things you know, that are getting headlines around town. Yeah. So we will start off with some big issues around town that are more of statewide issues. And on the second half of the program, we will focus on some bills that are more focused on counties and have a, a more direct impact on counties. Michael, let's first talk about perhaps the biggest story around town, and this has been bubbling for a few years now, and that's minimum wage and the fight for 15. Right. So this wasn't a long shot for us you know, at the start of session to more or less predict that this bill was going to pass. Oh, so we shouldn't say we called it. So we, but we did. We did. But, you know. <laughs> but, you know, that's fine. We don't need to hurt ourselves patting you know one another on the back. Right. Uh, most everybody called this. So, so now uh, it's gotten worked out. We went through the conference committee process. Sometimes on big tricky bills, that's a week, you know, weeks long or days and days. Uh, this was apparently like, you know, about 45 minutes. Yep. They come in, they shake hands. They're like, oh, we got a couple numbers here. How about we meet in the middle? Boom, it's over. So now you got to phase in till 2026 mm-hmm. to get to $15. You got the bill has now passed out of the House and the Senate in identical forms. It's on the way. It's probably sitting on the governor's desk right now. It probably is. And so <laughs> this bill, it does give a little break to employers with less than 15 they do have until 2026, and then everybody else has until 2025. And as you said, it's sitting on the governor's desk. And we know, Michael, the governor has said he opposes such a significant increase here. Right now, the minimum wage is 1010. This right. goes to 15. He had a proposal yeah. that would have made it 1210. Yeah, right? he floated, uh, let's do a couple bucks sure. and, and try and you know, go sort of halfway. Um, that that didn't gain any traction nope. in in the legislature. So I mean, it, it's one of those issues where most of the votes had been pretty well lined up. We sort of knew, you know, who was where, and both the House and the Senate passed their versions with enough votes to override a veto, which seems like that might happen, right? Right. So it's on the governor's desk. They've passed it with enough votes to override a veto. So now, Michael, the governor has six days uh, from when it hits his desk, excluding Sundays, (laughs) to either sign or veto the bill. And that would allow the General Assembly enough time to override the veto potentially uh, before the end of the 90-day session, which obviously ends on April 8th. So you'd have to think there was some planning there to make sure they got this to his desk 
uh, with enough time to take care of it this session if he doesn't, in fact, veto the bill. Clearly a plan to anticipate a possible veto. Whether it happens or not, uh, the whole idea was clearly let's have the whole thing done on the governor's desk so that he has to act during the legislative session and then they would have time to override it if they want to. So that's clear, deliberate planning. We'll see how it plays out. Um, you know, the governor, I don't think, I don't think the governor loves the idea of vetoing the bill. But he's he's given a lot of messages. He thinks this bill goes a little too far or it's too fast, that sort of stuff. So they're, they're put, put him in a tricky spot. Yeah, and maybe by offering his own proposal, you know, to get it to twelve ten over the next right. two yeah, years. I was I was willing I was right. willing to do something here. I've got some sympathy, but this is this is too much, too fast, or that sort of thing. Yeah, I and I, I think the smart money is we'll see a veto letter, and then this will be on the floor next week. Okay, so we'll wait and see there, and obviously we'll keep you updated. Another big story around town, Michael, is that clean energy jobs, and this all has to do with the renewable portfolio standard, that bill passed the Senate. However, the outcome in the House is uh, uncertain at this point. So the Senate approved a bill essentially that would dramatically increase the state's requirements for renewable energy. And basically the Clean Energy Jobs Act, it would require 50 percent of the state's electricity to come from renewable sources, just like wind and solar by the year 2030. And Michael, the current law is 25 percent by 2020. Right. So this this is a, a pretty common policy in lots of states basically saying in order to do business in the electric market in this state, you need to have sources that, that have at least a certain share from renewable sources. Right. So, so that's that's the, the principle here. And Maryland's had a law like this for a long time. We're not alone. This is something a lot of states do. Uh, you know, regulation and oversight of electric utilities is basically a state by state thing more than a more than a federal thing. So, um, and this is one of the ways that you know, if you're concerned about climate change or you're concerned about just you know air pollution and other things like that, you say, okay, this is one way we can make a change, and that is make sure the stuff being sold in this state that's distributed in this state is coming at least substantially or more substantially from uh, from renewable sources. An interesting wrinkle, though, is. How do you deal with one element that right now is in that top tier, and that is uh, waste to energy? So incinerator-type facilities uh, burning trash for energy. Uh, there's the big, big facility you see driving into downtown Baltimore on you know, I-95. Right. Um, it, it tends to have smoke coming out of it and so forth, and it emits stuff that people don't like. Um, so the Senate on the floor, not in committee, but on the floor, um, made an amendment to their bill to say waste to energy shouldn't be on that preferred tier, that tier one for renewable energy sources. That's a big deal. And that's a big deal because those tier one renewable energy sources get millions of dollars in subsidies for producing renewable energy, right? So now – by stripping the incinerator away from Tier 1, this means that the facility in Baltimore, and I think there's one in Montgomery, uh, they, they will not be eligible well, there just for these subsidies. There just right? won't be a market, right? right? I, mean, what you're, I mean, the whole idea with the, the portfolio standard is that you sort of create an artificial market for these renewable energies. And right. even, if, even if solar isn't attractive on money terms – if you want to do business in Maryland and you want to sell electricity here, you've got to have a bunch of solar. You've got to have a bunch of wind. So, you know, this is basically creating the demand for that product. Mm-hmm. Um, if the energy that they set, they want to sell from an incinerator is no longer helpful on that front, 
then it's just got to compete dollars wise and they may not have a competitive price. You know, you know, burning trash may be more expensive than burning dirty coal. Yeah, I think absolutely. I think that was their <laughs> right. argument, at least. And yeah. then, you know, we also have to think if if you take this source away, right. the, 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 the incinerator in Baltimore City, it doesn't just burn trash from Baltimore City. There is right, the trash whole region, coming yeah. from all over the sure, place. So what right. now happens to all that trash? Because right. I know that landfills yeah. are not the best. So, you, yeah, you, know, you, you stick the stuff. Either. You stick the stuff. I mean, this is it, – it's an interesting – it's sort of a debate within a debate. Yes. This, yeah. this idea about – Making a more aggressive standard for renewable energy is an interesting debate because it's kind of saying we're willing to pay more. We're going to put more of these renewable sources, even though they probably cost more. It's going to be worth it. And even though our ratepayers are going to have to pay more for their electricity here, it's worth it because of environmental reasons. So that's one debate. Right. Now you've got this subsidiary but still interesting debate about what should qualify as clean and – the thing is you drive by the incinerator, you see smoke coming out of it, and you say, that's bad. Mm-hmm. But the alternative, if you're not burning that trash, you're burying it somewhere. And that means it affects the water table and it starts leaking methane. Absolutely. And methane is a <laughs> a carbon-based – I mean it's, it's a greenhouse gas. It's right. part of our problem. If you're worried about climate change, you also hate landfills. Right. And I know we've <laughs> talked maybe on here before. You know, Part of this is that China has now stopped taking trash from the U.S. or in recycling. Right, right? Yeah. They, they've yeah. shut that down. So there's even more of an issue now of what do we do with our trash. And then another thing I know we've talked about on here uh, in regards to the RPS is – a, an RPS bill that would require this clean energy to come from within Maryland. And that would be a whole nother issue, right? Because that would put a lot of pressure on, you know, prime farmlands and soils. And this bill doesn't do that. So, yeah, but so I, that's I, a separate issue. But I, but I, I think, I, I think particularly if, if you do both of these, if, if you say we've got to get 50% renewable over the next decade or so, and you say, we're not going to be able to use waste to energy as one of the means to get to that target. Right. It's going to be a good deal more pressure for people to find more solar mm-hmm. and more wind. And right now there's not much movement for wind in, in Maryland. You got, you know, you've got some big windmills in Western Maryland up in the mountains. You got a little bit of push to maybe do some offshore. And from time to time, they've talked about things in and around the Bay. Yeah, Ocean city but, offshore. Yeah. Right. But, but, but we're not having a big debate about, you know, doing this everywhere, but solar is the big push. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, this this will definitely spur the solar industry. I mean, they're talking about that very plainly, saying they're calling it the it's the clean energy jobs bill, right? Right. So right. if you're if you're a a person who's selling you know these solar systems, or you're an installer, or you're you know you're a project you know coordinator and so forth, these are jobs that arise from all these solar companies doing business. In That's just going up somewhere, right. Right? right? So so you know it's it's going to change the nature of our open spaces. In theory, it should change the nature of your sort of gray areas, your mm-hmm. already built up areas. You should be doing more rooftop and other sure. things like that. But it's 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 a game changer in a lot of ways. Yeah. So brownfields, uh, gray fields, and rooftop, all of that intertwined here. But things might not be changing, at least in the near term, Michael, because in the House, the Economic Matters Committee. They heard this bill, and actually they brought it up in in a voting session, and the motion was unfavorable. So they they tried to kill the bill, but they were two short two votes short there. 
But on the other side, they don't actually have enough votes to move the bill. <laughs> so right now, the bill is sort of in limbo in the House, and they right. have it on hold. Yeah, that's so. That's that's a curious circumstance um, for for the committee to basically start going through a process, then stop, mm-hmm. and then the bill ends up ends up in a drawer. And you know, we we've talked about the notorious drawers of Annapolis, right? So this is you know this is that situation. This bill has not been voted officially in its committee in the House, so we have to think this will be pressure, right? The the Senate has had their floor debate. They got plenty of votes. They decided to, to take the waste to energy stuff out of Tier One. That's controversial. That's a tougher sell so in the House as well, house. Right. right? Right. So so this one. It's not as easy to say, okay, here we are, a few weeks left in session, this one's happening, you know, you know the governor's going to have to decide whether to sign or veto, which also, I think it's an unknown what the governor would say about this. It's going to drive up rates, mm-hmm. and, and, and you know, the governor wants to be open for business. Uh, more costly electricity to do business here or to live here uh, is not exactly his his ticket. So. Right. So another one that if yeah. it does, in, in fact, pass, that we'd have to keep an eye on what the governor would do, whether or not he would right. I- issue a veto on the bill. Yeah. Okay. So we'll see what happens there. Again, right now, the House is not showing any movement, but the Senate has passed the bill. Michael, another very intriguing story is the idea that we should abolish this handgun permit review board. (laughs) And the Senate right now is debating a proposal to do just that. And for some background, the handgun permit review board is about 50 years old, and they're charged with hearing appeals of decisions to deny or restrict concealed carry permits. So, Michael, what's the idea here? Where did this come from? And what is the action right now in the Senate? I I think this story is complicated, and there's a reason why this is happening in the Senate, because – Nominally, this started with controversial appointments to this body. And as the governor has proposed his appointments of who ought to sit on this review board, the process that they follow has come under some scrutiny. So uh, it would either either last year or, or during Governor Hogan's tenure, he appointed someone who was up who was up for Senate approval for his appointment onto this review board. And this nominee basically said, I think everybody should be able to get their guns. Right. So I think Maryland's law is wrong. So when someone ap- appeals to my board, I'm going to say, yes, you get your permit. Automatic. So what you've got lingering in the background is you've got a five-member body who's supposed to be hearing these arguments on their merits. But as we know, gun issues are intensely watched. They're very personal. They're very political. They're usually divisive and that's basically what this is what's happened here is the notion of appointing people to serve on this body shown light on this body is almost always given you know is is like taking the appeals i I forgot the number like almost 300 appeals and more than 200 of them have turned into yeah yeah fine get you get your permit sure so the state police says no this person shouldn't get the permit and then the the board overturns the state police's decision and it's happening a lot of the time, at least according to the folks who would like to abolish this review board. Right. There's, and, and there's been back and forth sure. about the numbers and how, how big the changes have been and so forth. But they, I mean, they, they have been doing a lot of overriding the decisions of the state police. Mm-hmm. Now that's supposedly their role, <laughs> but um, it's left the legislature saying, well, should we keep, keep appointing people to this body who philosophically kind of don't buy the system 
to be working the right way. Right. So the idea is instead all future appeals would be heard by an administrative law judge. Right. So, I mean, so basically you resolve the problem of who should be appointed to the board by saying, all right, let's hold all that stuff right. and let's drop in a bill, an emergency bill to abolish the board. So right, right now, a decision, there, lots and lots of decisions can go from a state agency, can be appealed to the Office of Administrative Hearings. That's sort of the, the centerpiece for this kind of stuff and in state government. Right. And, a, and a decision by this review board can, the, the bill would say, let's just skip that middle step. And if someone wants to appeal the decision from the state police, just go right to the administrative hearing judge and that person will take, take that case as opposed to having this body of political appointees. Okay. So the Senate right now, uh, the bill is on the floor. It's been laid over, which essentially yeah. means it's been held pending amendments. So the Senate, it, it seems like they will have the votes to do this. I think this. so. Yeah. I, I think, I mean, you know, if you're predicting gun stuff, you generally just think blue and red, right. and that these are these issues tend to basically break down more or less on party lines. There'll probably be a few Democrats who won't like the bill, but I mean, it's it's so maybe they'll yeah. get like 17 votes, yeah, yeah, against, yeah, yeah something right, like right. that. So yes, but you'll you'll probably end up with 30 or 32 who will be willing to go for it, mm-hmm. and so um so that you know it's we're past crossover. You've got some procedural hurdles. This is a Senate bill still in the Senate. It got introduced late, mm-hmm. went through two committees and so forth. Like it's, it's been an unusual process, but this is that kind of issue. Right. right? And so, I would imagine if this bill does get over to the House and, and it you know it is able to eclipse the hurdles that may be in its right. way, they will certainly have the votes in the House to do this. Yeah, I would think so. I would right. think so. So phil- philosophically, the legislative leadership probably wants to do this as a way to just smooth out this process, make it – their argument would be make it less political, make it more just – administrative and on the merits, but the nature of changing the system just reeks of political Inherently stuff. So, Inherently right, Yeah, yeah. Right. So. Okay, very interesting stuff there. We'll go ahead and take a break now, and when we come back, we will talk about some bills that have more of a direct county impact. The bills that we just discussed, Mako didn't have a position on any of those bills. So when we come back, we'll dive into some stuff that we do maybe have a position back on. Back to our turf. Our <laughs> turf, our turf. All that and more after the break. Welcome back to the Conduit Street Podcast. Kevin Canale back here with Michael Sanderson. And Michael, I briefly discussed this on last week's episode, but I didn't want to leave you out because I know <laughs> it is your favorite subject. It's, it's Kerwin, isn't it? It's Kerwin. It's Kerwin. We're you doing know, it. You know it. You know it. <laughs> so the big news with the, the Kerwin bill, the blueprint bill, is that the Senate and the House differ you know, vastly on how much money should be allocated to year one of installing the recommendations of the Kerwin commission. Sort of the blueprint idea. And this has been – this is tricky to follow if you're not – 
an insider because people who are following the bill see that the blueprint bill is still sitting in appropriations. It's still sitting in budget and tax or EE. And and so the the bills are just sitting there. They haven't moved at all. Right. right? So to the extent that people say, oh, crossover was really important and all this kind of stuff, the bills are still just sitting there. Mm -hmm. But what's happened is the funding for this year, for the first, you know, for the first installment of this two year blueprint, uh, had to be part of the budget plan. So the legislature has its budget bill. They also uh, ended up constituting their own legislative reconciliation bill that has some fund transfers and other odds and ends and so forth. So now there's a BRFA bill that rides along with the budget. Right. The House has already passed their whole thing. The Senate just passed theirs in the last couple of days, finished up their work on the budget. So now that's heading towards conference, and that's where this difference lies, is the funding provisions for this year – that's basically the set aside money to do the blueprint. Uh, the house went whole hog and did, I think, penny for penny what was proposed in, um, in, in the blueprint bill. Correct. Did, did yes. they, okay. And, and then, so the Senate has peeled it back and that's where the difference is. Yeah. The Senate took about a hundred million dollars off of, of what the house proposed uh, to fund for the blueprint for year one. And as you said, the House just went full board and they they put to the penny, I believe, exactly what was in that bill. The Senate, and actually it's interesting, they got a letter in the middle of their uh, decision making on the budget, and it was from the governor and from Secretary Brinkley saying, you got to you got to slow down. You know, we need to be careful here. And I think the Senate's message was, we don't want to spend money that we don't have and that we haven't budgeted for in the future. We need to 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 reel this in a bit. And obviously now there will be a big debate about how much money should be put in. And this, as you said, right. will go to conference committee. And I think the conference committee on the operating budget will start meeting tomorrow on Friday as, as we're here in Annapolis. Right. So, so I don't think this one's going to be a 45-minute No, no. This is – I mean – in, in an ordinary year, it takes maybe four or five days to get through all the differences in the budget plans. Right. Uh, this year, there really hasn't been any knockdown, drag out fights in the budget. There are a number of differences and they'll have a, they'll, yeah, they'll have a multi-page sheet of all these areas where they've, they've differed with each other. And, you know, someone will be $200,000 here or, uh, you know, this sentence and that sort of stuff. So right. there's a lot of like little minutiae in there, but this will be, Probably the closely close closest watched item on their list. Uh, it, it's pretty big deal, especially because you have so many advocates who are all in for this. And we've saw, you know, we saw the teachers with their whole march in Annapolis. There were thousands of teachers in town, and you know, every one of them has been given their talking points, which are, you know, not a penny less. Right. right? And you know, I think it was even mentioned uh, in the in the Senate Budget and Taxation Committee when they announced their decision. They know there's a lot of pressure on the delegates and the senators, and there were a lot of promises made on the campaigns. But I think still they're saying we have to be realistic here. And obviously this will get worked out in conference committee, but they also chopped about $45 million off of what the House allocated for school construction. That's another area where – uh, there'll be a lot of debates, and there's obviously a huge need to build schools, you know, in Maryland. Right, and so I mean, the numbers we're talking about here for the for the budget year coming up, the House went three twenty five, mm-hmm. and the Senate is at two twenty. Two twenty, right? So difference of about a hundred million dollars, and that's a big chunk of the special ed funding, and some other pieces that are that are in the budget are the areas of difference, but. 
you know, we've been talking about this all the time. The dimensions of the full plan are way bigger than this. Right. And, you know, a lot of this, it, it, it's, it's not talked about enough, I don't think, because so much of this relies on the governor introducing budget amendments. Right. This is right? important, too. This is very yeah, important. We're, we're not even ready for that. We're, right now, it's basically the legislature. Right. And in all candor, it's basically the Democrat leadership in the, in the legislature trying to sort out what their plan is and so forth. But as far as this year's budget – all they can do is direct and authorize and allow the governor to make budget amendments to move money into these things and use it for the purposes on their list. So um, they they can't just add money to the budget. Right. They have to have the governor follow through. And with the governor sending a letter saying he's not sure – and actually, you know, the, the letter was about affordability. Right. But then the governor himself had a press event. Earlier, earlier this week, yeah, right. on, on crossover day, ranging on a number of different topics, but he spent a, a fair amount of his time saying, "I don't think there's enough accountability in what they're talking about." There's, and you know, there's, they've created there, another bill is creating this new oversight body, and there's going to be a few people there, and they're going to have the, the ability to do performance audits of schools, and that's the principal um, accountability measure in this bill. He's going with, hey, this could be throwing good money after bad that, you know, we haven't gotten the results we wanted from Thornton. And now this is just, you know, triple down on that. Yes. Um, but I mean, just, I, I think all of this is fascinating numbers wise and politics wise. But I can't help but think if they're choking on 325 versus 220, what happens when we do 3.8 billion? That's a call for just a few years out. Yeah, they're talking about too. $2 billion a year from the state, even before they stick the counties with the other half of that. Mm-hmm. Where are they coming up with $2 billion a year if they can't find 300 in a, in a relatively good year? Exactly. <laughs> and you know, all of this is fascinating, as you said. And in the, in the governor's press conference on crossover day, he said no new money for education without Accountability and re- whether or not that's the accountability right. that he's proposed, right. or you know the, uh, the the accompanying bill as you mentioned that has an, an accountability right. function, but I don't know. And again, a lot of this, all these packages, de- they depend on the governor appropriating the money. So all of this, you know, even if what's worked out in conference committee, they're still going to have to rely on the governor to introduce these amendments right. to appropriate right. the money. And that's just for this year. Right. The, the, the legislature can force the governor to put money in the budget for 21 and, they will, and the right. years beyond. Right. So that's part of this too. And they can they can mandate the governor to do anything, basically. Mm-hmm. They can require any funding level they want. Um, the governor can still sort of back it out. He can say the money's in the budget and here's my contingent cut once you pass my reconciliation bill that says we're going to slow down the formula or we're not going to do it this year or whatever, but he still has to have the money in the budget. Anyway, like all, every dimension of this is interesting. The stakes are really high and this is, this is the small part. The small part is (laughs) right. And and you're right. If they're quabbling over this, what are we going to do just a few years away when we have to come up with a whole lot more? (laughs) Speaking of education, there is a school construction bill that passed the House. This is a, a big deal. This is about $2.2 billion, Michael. And really, this is a new concept, a new way to spend this money. This is all about school construction funding. And the bill did pass the House. It's moved to the Senate. And the amended bill divides up funding by percentages to certain counties in the state. And we've really never done that before, right? This is a right. new idea. Right. So, um, I mean, there's, I think there's a lot of things interesting about this. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the germ idea for this was really proposed by the governor. Um, 
you know, we had Governor Hogan and County Executive also Brooks uh, talking about the need to do school construction. This was either right before the session started or, or in the very first you know week or two yeah. of the legislative yeah. session. As you know, we need to do we need to do something outside the box and make a big move here. Mm-hmm. So um, the, the the idea is let's leverage a stream of revenue other than taxes and bond it with some long-term bonds and front the money for the next few years and build a ton of schools. And I think the narrative is basically we know that there are counties every year, the, the school systems and the county governments are saying we need – that we have this, the school, we have the growth over here, we need this new building or we need to add a new wing or we need to renovate this, this old tired school – we're ready to go. Right. It's a meritorious project. And the state says, well, we can only fund until we're out of cash. Right. So, you know, every year there's this sort of debate. Can you do 350? Can you do 330, 380, whatever? And the governors, you know, said, we're going to, we're going to do a billion dollars worth of, of capital stuff. And this year, okay, we'll do like 400 or so for schools. That's a step in the right direction. Here, the idea is let's do another layer on top, do a couple billion dollars and kind of clear the deck of right. everything that's out there Let's take care of everything right. right so and you make a long-term commitment i mean this is 125 million bucks a year for what will probably be 30 years at least 20 mm-hmm. and probably into the 30 year range you know the the, the, the bond you know the the, the term of the bonds is not 100 percent clear but i think they're talking about doing this as 30 year bonds but you know 2.2 billion dollars is going to build an awful lot of school projects. And it's also it's doing some things that the counties have been asking for for a long time. It's going to help us with what people call in the trade, they call soft costs. Right. So these eligible costs and, and in this bill, particularly for smaller counties, you know, when we talk about architectural engineering, consulting, other planning costs, a lot of time, even though ideally these costs are split, you know, school construction, state, county split at 50-50, that's not how it works. And there are eligible costs and ineligible costs. This bill yeah. would allow those sort of planning costs in smaller jurisdictions to be covered by by the state. And that right. really, I mean, that can be a lot of money and it, it would be a big break yeah. for, for some of our jurisdictions that could surely use it. So. I, I think when when the governor proposed this idea and then there were a variety of other approaches that were similar, we saw multiple different bills introduced and all heard on the same day. Right. A lot of interest in the idea, but I, I don't think anybody thought it was a sure thing that this bill was going to pass. And now we're in kind of a weird spot that the House has passed it. The amount of fanfare for that has, is – Maybe less than you would expect. There's like no coverage, right? I mean, you know, it's it, really I mean, remarkable. I mean, this week has there, there's been there have been other stories that have been you know grabbing a lot of a lot of focus from, of the media and so forth. That's so true. so this is a big bill that right now is not making a lot of a splash. Um, maybe that's because one chamber has moved it and. We're not hearing senators talking about this yet. Now they, they've they've got a hearing scheduled next week right. well, on the bill that, as it's come out of the house. And that but should that's tell you something. Right? Next and week, right? Not it wasn't today. Right. They're scheduling the hearing on the twenty seventh. Right. You know, right before essentially the session is over, they'd have to move it, get it through. Right. If there are any differences, they'd have to work it out in conference. Right. So you have to think that if they really wanted to do this, they would have scheduled that hearing. You know, this week or you know, at least yeah, early I, next yeah. week. I don't know. I, I I don't know. I mean, what's what's always been looming in the back background was a sense that 
uh, the notion of doing a lot more for school construction was seen by many as an alternative to doing more through Kerwin for the operations side, for special education, for teacher training and development and career advancement, and all these other things that are part of the Kerwin plan. Right. So if those ideas are rivals, they're sort of, you know, at, at one point they were talking about spending the exact same money. Same right. right. So, so to the extent that some people see it's an either or, then maybe the Senate is you know the Senate has already got some weak knees about how much they can spend on Kerwin with the blueprint. That's true. Maybe they're looking at this bill and saying, well, this is yet another spending commitment we may not be able to really commit to. So I don't know. I don't. We're, I, don't I don't think we're calling a shot here. But um, this this bill is not on as fast a track as it could have been if if there had been a clear consensus by everybody that this is what we're going to do. Right. So some question again, just like the RPS bill, it's moved out of one chamber and now we have to wait right. on action from the second. Right. And, and I mean that's it's it's the nature it's the nature of a legislative session. There are always issues that have a you know you get a home game in the House and then you have a road game in the Senate. This happens all the time. We we face these things all the time. Some there are some issues we know. You know we're we we just can't win the fight over there, but we'll try and win it over here. This this happens too. So it's it's par for the course. So another wait and see. That is a giant bill, yeah. and as you said, not as much fanfare as you'd expect, but maybe that is some writing on the wall. And Michael, I want to talk about one other budget issue, and that is some language that is passed the Senate uh, in the BRFA, the Budget Reconciliation Financing Act. And this language is something new. It requires your delegation to support any local priority transportation project. So if you're requesting that yeah. the state make this project a priority over here, now, instead of just the county being enough, you'd actually have to have your delegation mm-hmm. support you, the majority yeah, of the majority, delegation. majority of the House delegation and a majority of the Senate delegation, right. you have to attest that they have officially supported the project, which – I'm sure in the in the majority of cases that's so. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, the folks the folks in Charles County have their list of things, and they generally speaking all kind of know what the priorities are and so forth. But I mean, there are there are places that have sort of you know intrinsic debates over transit versus roads. There are places that you know, well, we don't want this part of town to have the growth. We want that part of town to right, have the growth. Right. I mean, this kind of stuff happens. Right. But so what the the stage in the process we're talking about is when the Department of Transportation does their road show. They come mm-hmm. out and they visit. They visit each jurisdiction. Mm-hmm. They meet with the leadership there, and there's a formal process where you send in a letter. Here's our list of projects. So this this language this is this is a rider amendment that got stuck into the the big budget reconciliation bill. So there's no public hearing on right. this. No stakeholders were asked about this. This just shows up and now it's going to be in conference. All the budget conferees were worrying about all those little sentences and $200,000 items and so forth. One of the items on there is going to be, do you accept this language right. to basically provide a legislative veto? And, and for some of the smaller counties, it says – you have to have a majority of your Senate delegation for for about half of the counties. That's one senator. That's right. Like if you're on the Eastern Shore and you know it's a, there's a project in Worcester County, one senator says no. You can't even submit it as a priority. Right. <laughs> right. It, I mean, it, it's interesting, and as you said, most of the time this probably wouldn't be an issue, but you certainly can think of times where this would create some issues between the delegation and the county 
And again, this is really a legislative veto, and, and um, obviously that that could create some major issues. It's it's peculiar. I, I mean, I, you know, I, I I'm sure you know, we're going to have our legislative committee back in town next week. We'll talk about this this topic. I, I hope it's still timely for you know for 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 some discussion. But right. it's just a, it's a curious thing to pop up this way. Just interesting news there. <laughs> And Michael, we've gone through a lot of the statewide issues. We've gone through some more county-specific issues. And I want to talk about uh, another interesting story that we saw today. We know that the big NCAA tournament has just kicked off. I think right now I might be winning in our, our, oh, you're our on office it, yeah. pool. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe. We'll see. Not that we gamble. But um, Larry Hogan, so Governor Hogan, released his bracket. And Last year, famously picking UMBC. He did. Uh, smart. Right? Smart, right? <laughs> exactly. So we, you know, if you go straight to the championship game, he has Maryland there. Which, wow, really? Wow, go right? Terps, right? You, of course. You, you that, that's what you do. Now, on the other side of the bracket, who, who who's in the finals with Maryland? Now, I'm not sure if, if you're big on Iowa. He, I don't know what your bracket looks like, but the governor certainly has governor Iowa. He's a big fan of Iowa. Maryland Interesting. Okay, in well, I mean, game. I mean, I know he's been paying attention to the Big Ten, and you know, I mean, gets gets out to Big Ten country from time to time. So uh, I guess it makes sense, right? But. You'd people are going to talk. Bit, people right? are going to yeah. talk. Right? I mean, we know he's going up to New Hampshire. <laughs> right. and we know he's been to Iowa. And now he has Maryland <laughs> playing Iowa in the championship game. And Just, I, I don't I mean, he's got to be one of the only ones that has Iowa going. Sure. Well, I mean, why not? Right. But intriguing to say the least. Right. I mean, that's just another it. clue. I love it. I love it's it. like, you know, he's just dropping hints. <laughs> and, and whether or not it means anything, right. I don't know. Right. But yeah, certainly he's going to get people talking. And, 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 they and are. that's 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 awesome. I love it. OK, so we'll leave it there. A lot going on. Uh, Mako is very busy running around. We have the budget. We have a lot of hearings still popping up. So we'll leave it there for today. Michael, we'll be back next week, and hopefully you'll be back. I don't know. We'll have to. We'll have to take a poll and see. If <laughs> yeah, see what the, see what the listeners think. Right, maybe right. I'm out. I, don't I, know. I think you. I think you did okay. So maybe you'll be. <laughs> all right. We'll leave it there. Michael and Kevin signing off. If you enjoy the podcast, please give us a like. Let your friends know. Helps us to get our message out. For Michael and Kevin signing off. We'll talk to you soon. <laughs>